from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Nathan Drinkard. I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. What's up, Drink? What's up, Jay? What are we getting into today? And I'm so glad you asked. Because in episode 11, baseball is down to its final four. The NFL is already in week six. And we look ahead to a loaded weekend in college football. We begin with the New England Patriots improving the 6-0 with a 35-14 win over the New York Giants. After being down 14-0, the Giants made it interesting in the second quarter by tying the game with a long touchdown pass to Golden Tate and a fumble return touchdown from Marcus Golden. But New England scored the final 21 points, including two quarterback sneak TDs from Tom Brady. Drink, this is the fourth 6-0 start in the Belichick-Brady era. So the question is, what chance do you give the Patriots to go undefeated? Hey, Jay, you having a good day today? Pretty good, I think. Pretty good. You've been hydrating, everything been good? Yeah. I, I had to ask you that because you asked me this ridiculous question. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Let's be real here. I, I would to- blame it on the producer, but we are the producers. <laughs> Gotta love that, right? Um... <laughs> Hey, man, if I had to put this on a scale of 1 to 10, and you know I love my scales from 1 to 10, you know, uh, 10 being the most, 1 being the least, absolutely, this is a 2. Only reason I ain't giving them a 1, because Tom Brady and Bill Belichick still deployed there. If they won there, they'd get a 1, possibly a 0. I'm going to give them a 2, though. Why? Look, this offense ain't cutting the cheese. Defense is phenomenal. I ain't got nothing to say about that defense. They playing some ball. Offense ain't cutting the cheese. I'm a little concerned. Why am I concerned? Well, as I see, the combined records of the teams that they've played thus far is 7-22. and That's seven wins, 22 losses. Three of the six teams they've played have yet to win a game. I repeat, 50% of the teams they have played have yet to win one game in this year's NFL season. What that tells me is, as good as the Patriots has been, something is a little watered down. Let me get a large drink with extra ice. It's a little watered down. I watched last night, and for the most part, the result of that game last night, as we looked at it, it was on script to what we thought was going to happen outside of the 14-14 tie. Now, that was a little off script. And most people, I would think, like myself, and you probably thought this, like, wait, what? <laughs> this game's out at 14? What are they doing? Oh, Danny Downs, you know, he found Golden Tate down the sideline. I couldn't believe that. I'm going to tell you right now. I did not think he was going to throw one touchdown because this defense has been so tough this year. And he ain't got – he only had one weapon. Golden Tate was his only weapon. And somebody – that was the first touchdown the Pats defense has allowed through the air. First passing touchdown they've allowed. 
So with that said, I didn't even think their first touchdown was going to be allowed in this game. The guy was missing two, two wide receivers, his star tight end, both running backs. I mean, on and on and on. I mean, I seen them. Uh, I seen them going over the injury report, and the doggone GM pulled out a stroll. It was this over missing. I mean, it was ridiculous. However, with that said. They did give up their first touch. Now Danny Dines, a nice throw to uh, Golden Tate down the sideline. Golden Tate did a good job of breaking the tackle and walking slash showboating into the end zone. I didn't need to do that. <laughs> didn't need to do that. A little, little bit much. <laughs> as as only Golden Tate could do. Now, when you're playing for the Giants and this version of the Giants, I don't think showboating is part of the criteria. But, hey, I'm not an NFL player. What the hell do I know? So, so with that said, um, I would, uh, I thought another reason I was concerned because if if a team like the Patriots supposed to live up to the hype and to the bravado that that they've been given and they work for it, don't get me wrong, they definitely work for it. Last night was supposed to be over by halftime. I'm pretty confident that the ratings for last night game wasn't that high due to the fact of. These two, these two teams was on different ends of the spectrum. You had the almighty Patriots rolling, well, the almighty Patriots at home, I should say, and then you got the woeful, we barely got enough to make a full roster, Giants come rolling into town, and you're looking at this, and you're like, man, this ain't going to be no game, man. I ain't wasting my time with this. Let me go find something else to watch. Hey, what, what that uh, NL uh, DS talking about, uh, ALDS talking about? Let's, let's watch the Astros, because this game ain't going to be about nothing. It did, like I said, it, it was a little surprising, but not from the defense. And I want to, and I want to throw this out there. If it had not been for the defensive uh, formal recovery and the special team block for a touchdown, this game could have looked different. It could have looked very different. So you have to point out both of those touchdowns. Now, when I say that, I guess I got to point out that Tom Brady also went 14 straight receptions, too. But they was deeps and dunks. When I look deeper into the facts, the fact is this. Tom Brady only threw over 20. He only threw three balls that traveled over 20 yards from him to the receiver. Only three balls that way. The rest of them was short little dinks and dunks that person caught it, took it off the field, whatever the case might be. No long ball threat. Now, they might have something to do with Josh Gordon giving a fantastic effort, I might add, a fantastic effort to stop a touchdown. It ended up being a touchdown anyway, but he still gave a good effort to stop it. Ended up getting his leg bent behind him, and he was done for the game. So I hear that that injury is not as serious as it looks. Yeah, that's great news. That's great news for them because that looked bad. Yeah, it did. It looked bad. I thought he was done for the season. I mean, this is Josh Gordon we're talking about. It don't take much. Um, so he bends his leg back. We find out that it's not as serious. He should be able to come back soon, and they're going to need him because you've seen what they look like without him. Now, they didn't have Philip Dorsett as well. This also was a team, no Rex Burkhead in the, in the uh, backfield. That that probably held him down. Um, tight end play, I thought, last night was porous. You heard what Tom Brady said early in the week when they released Ben Watson. He wasn't the happiest about it. I mean, he a company man. He said what he said, but I think he did like having Ben Watson there as more of a security blanket, a guy that had been there and done that, whatever the case might be. 
Last night we seen we seen a uh, average to below average offense, man. Tom Brady's starting to show that age more and more. That offensive line is letting him get hit way too much. You can't let a guy his age get hit the way he was getting hit last night. That's why you had so many fumbles because Tom Brady's not used to this, man. And then he's getting older, and you letting him get like power drive and everything else. I don't even know. I'm be honest. I don't know how much that how much of this damage at this level that Tom Brady can take. I wouldn't be surprised eventually he start missing games here soon because you you letting him get hit a lot back there. Not to mention your run game ain't where it needs to be where you can depend on it. It was decent last night, but once again we're talking about the Giants that coming in missing half of their roster. When you go to play when you go to play like. Uh, a complete defense, the Bears or some, or like even like Buffalo. If they was to play Buffalo when they when they play Buffalo again, yeah, like those defenses, this run game ain't gonna cut the cheese. It ain't gonna cut the cheese at all. And then you gonna expect Tom Brady what throw it seventy times or something while he's over here getting smoked like a barbecue on the Fourth of July? No, man, you, you, that that run game is gonna have to pick it up. Defense, what can I say? <sighs> That defense was so good, it almost made me shed a tear. Do you know, just a side point here, do you know in fantasy that the Patriots' defense is the eighth most valuable, like, entity in, in fantasy? Like, it's only, like, seven individual players that score more points than the Patriots' defense. Hey, I didn't know that, but I know they're really good because I know I got them in my lineup, fortunately. <laughs> but you know, you know I know how good they They've been carrying me. <laughs> so I've I seen that this one in his left side, but I, I had to bring that up. I said, that's incredible. They said the Patriots' defense is equivalent of having a running back, three one, running back ones on your roster. I don't know exactly what that means. But two touchdowns last night. I mean, meanwhile, Sonny Michelle, he couldn't. They got Brady's running quarterback sneaks from the three-yard line. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, I'm going to let you go ahead and put, put your spill for Sonny Michelle. But to get back to the question at hand, no, absolutely not. Not even close. Offense not good enough to go undefeated. I, th I would predict that within the next two weeks, the Patriots are going to lose one of those two games in the next two weeks. And the, um, that, that offense just not good enough. I don't care who come back. Jesus Christ could come out there and start shooting out holy water, and it still might be a little struggle because it is what it is. They got too many holes. They've been getting by with mediocre competitions thus far. But when it pick up, and it will pick up, this is not going to fly. And I, I'm willing to bet once we start seeing this Patriot team play better competition, we're going to question just how far this team can make it in the playoffs this year. We're going to question that because this team is not – Good on the offense side of the ball. They are good on defense. I don't think that's no fake. That ain't fake news. All right, that's that's real deal over there on the defense side of the ball. But that the offense, that's paper mache. So no, definitely not undefeated. Yeah, there's um, you gave him a two. I'm at a one. There's no way. There's no way this uh, this Patriot team goes undefeated. And you mentioned the strength of opposition that they're playing so far, seven and twenty-two. If you remove the Bills record from that, it drops even further. They're three and twenty-one because you mentioned the three winless teams being the Jets, Dolphins, and Redskins. So, look, the Patriots are good. 
defensively, they're outstanding. And I believe so far they're allowing eight points per game. And some of that they've allowed their offense has allowed two touchdowns. Jamal Adams had a interception return in, in the Jets Patriots game a couple weeks ago. That was courtesy of Jared Stidham, who was in mop up uh, duty. And then Marcus Golden runs a fumble return back last night. So that points per game average could be even it could be even lower because their offense is giving up 14 points. So also let's take a look. At the again, just piggybacking off the strength of opposition. Let's look at the quarterbacks that defense is playing, not to take anything away from them. But look, we faced Big Ben in week one. We understand that. But then take out check out this list. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Luke Falk, Josh Allen, Colt McCoy, and Daniel Jones. Look, we all know that's not the most impressive list in the world, to say the least. So not to belabor the point. But who they played so far, I believe that's more of a reason why they're undefeated right now than how good they are. Again, I think the defense is legitimate, but you pointed to the offense. I'm not blown away by this offense. I'm really not. And part of it is because the per- some of the personnel they don't have. Their center, David Andrews, he's out for the season. The fullback, James Devlin, is out for the season. I think in some way, in some way shape, or form, that impacts the running game. Uh, the, I don't think the left tackle is even in there right now. I believe Isaiah Wynn. I don't think he's there. So we look, we take those things into consideration. The Patriots, there's no way, there's no way I can look at this team going undefeated. I want to point to, I want to point to a five game stretch that begins November 3rd, the Baltimore Ravens, Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs. Three of those, three of those are on the road. I mentioned those. I mentioned those other quarterbacks that they played to start the season. So in in five straight weeks, you're getting Lamar Jackson, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. There's gonna be that. Look, I know the Patriots' defense is good. There's gonna be some passing touchdowns thrown. I'm sorry. There, there's gonna be some. And offensively, the Patriots are gonna have to be better than what they have shown us. I get it. I believe. Look, offensively. The rankings aren't all that bad. They're ninth overall. They're fifth in passing, third in scoring, although some of that can be attributed to the uh, defensive special teams putting up touchdowns. Uh, the problem, the problem. I think what they need to do is they got to get back to the running game. They have to be better in the running game. I need Sony Michelle and this offensive line to take over and take some of the load off of Tom Brady because they're just not fully equipped with – weapons as they have been in recent history they got josh gordon out there and they are very fortunate that he's not he's not down for for an extended period with the with the knee injury he sustained last night you mentioned philip dorsett didn't play considering he's their third receiver that's a significant deal you got julian edelman out there we know he's a warrior we know he's going to play through injuries but at some point we can only expect so much from him so he's got to have help out there. This isn't the Patriots in years past when you got Gronk controlling the middle of the field and Edelman can do his thing against anybody. Look, if Josh Gordon doesn't play, if for some reason he can't play going forward, the defense is going to key on Julian Edelman and they will start and they will begin to take him away. So other guys are going to have to step up, whoever it might be, whether it's a Jacoby Myers or whoever else they got waiting in the wings at wide receiver. You, you mentioned Ben Watson being gone. I got to believe... I got to believe they 
they got to regret a little bit getting rid of Demarius Thomas. That kind of stunted their depth at wide receiver. Well, hey, Antonio Brown said, uh, hey, they could come get him. They got to pay him anyway, so uh, they maybe they could go back out and get Antonio Brown. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that video. It was humorous. Uh, unfortunately, I can't, I can't see the Patriots doing that, though. I can't. Yeah, yeah, come on back. We need you now. Nah, forget about it. Patriot way moves on. Hey, but no, this you, offense. You also said you didn't see the Patriots signing him from the get-go. So I didn't. Neither, neither of us did. But hey, they took a fly on him. But I just, I just, that just didn't seem like. I mean, I get it. We were wrong about that. But I can't see, I can't see him bringing him back now. That's that would seem like a weak move, don't you think? I mean, they looking like a weak team. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to, well, to be to be fair, they did pile up what 427 yards offensively last night. So it's not like they're the the eye test just to to my eyes they just don't look all that impressive. Especially the the way that game began last night, the Patriots coming out, moving down the field, and then in short yards they get stuffed on the first drive. They it just seems like that doesn't seem like a Patriot team. It seems that's one of those situations where you expect them to convert, dominate the line of scrimmage. And keep moving off the first, and then uh, Tom Brady threw a horrendous interception at one point. Him and Julian Elman now on the same page, and Jenkins almost took it back to the house. Patriots just don't offensively, to my eyes, and part, and again, part of it is because they're down some bodies, they're down some personnel. But I, yeah, I, undefeated, I can't see it. I think in that five-game stretch I mentioned with the Ravens, Eagles, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, I think. I think three and two is the best they can do, and I could easily see them losing three of those games. But yeah, just just like you said, man. I mean, yeah, have they compiled numbers? Absolutely. But what have the Dallas Cowboys taught us thus far in this season? That you play your first three games against Slim Jim, Hot Pocket, and Uncrustable, and then when you got to actually make a meal, a three course meal, and put it in the oven, now you're taking the L's. That, that's what the Dallas Cowboys. So, yeah, I get it. They putting up some numbers on offense, but they're out here playing. Who are they playing? Who are they playing? Let, let's be real here. Okay, like a, a bunch of garden tools. That's like when they get into that that meat of the schedule that you just named. Come on, hey. Okay, you piling up numbers, huh? Okay, we'll see. When that defense start get tired of carrying the load, they like. Hey, the goat, your old ass need to get it in gear. We need you out of neutral. We need you to put it in drive. All right. Uh, to me, and to me, to me, that's why they need to rely on the running game because when you got a great defense as they have, it work it it works best when you pair that with a great running game to control the clock, keep these other guys, limit the possessions of say a Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, limit their limit their opportunities. And look, running game defense, they go hand in hand. Take some of that pressure off the uh, off the pass protection. And uh, they're, they're down some receivers right now. Which, that's, that's okay, just like you said, and that's another thing that gets me. With your defense dominating the way they are, this is the perfect time to run the ball. If you remember la- uh, last week, I want to say, or maybe the week before, we was talking about the Rams. And we was talking about the reason the Rams throw the ball so much is because they, they find themselves down in a lot of games and right. they've been in the run game. The, the Patriots don't have that problem because the defense keep them in the game for the most part. So why are we not running the ball? 
like like you said about Ty Gurley, is it something about Sonny Michelle we don't know? Yeah, I know Rex Burkhead was hurt, but you had James White out there. You got Bowden out there. You got Sonny Michelle. You tell me with that trio, you can't get the job done? You can't get enough rushing yards to get the job done? If that is the case, then I'm telling you, it's a long season. If that is the underlying case that you feel as a coach, Bill Belichick, that you can't trust that run game, no, we know this. Let me throw this out there. We know uh, New England is very unorthodox into a fact of one game they'll pass the ball, the next game they won't do nothing. One game they'll run the ball, the next game is all about the tight end. You know what I'm saying? They keep, they keep the opponents thrown off. That was by design back in the day. Right now, I don't think that's by design. I think that's what they have to do to try to keep the offense into moving the ball. But look, man, we'll see when the meat and potatoes come. Like I said, within the next two weeks, I think we're going to start seeing a dramatically different team out the Patriots, and we're going to start second-guessing if they're going to be that Super Bowl-caliber team that we used to seeing year in and year out. Hey, one one quick note on the for the Giants because we haven't we haven't talked about them a whole lot. Uh, Daniel Jones coming in receiving a lot of a lot of credit for how he's performed early and uh, he he deserves it to some extent. I, I'm not going to give him any blame for last night. I think we both expected him to have a very difficult time, especially considered how good the Patriots are defensively and Bill Belichick's history of formulating game plans that can confuse young quarterbacks. So I'm not going to give I'm not going to pile on Daniel Jones last night, although I will say if you remove that one touchdown throw to Golden Tate, the numbers are 14 of 30, 97 yards, three interceptions. I'm not going to hold that against him, though. I'm not going to hold that against him. All right, Jay. Let's turn to some Major League Baseball, where we're down to the final four teams after last night's action. The Cardinals and the Nationals went on the road in, in both in game fives and defeated the Braves and the Dodgers, respectfully, to advance to the NLCS. Good stuff, good stuff. Meanwhile, the Astros handled the, they handled the business last night. <laughs> Garrett Cole, I might add, uh, handled the business last night. And now we got that the most anticipated battle in the playoffs right now against the Yankees. In the NLDS. So, what NLCS, I'm sorry. So, with that said, it's a real simple question. Who you got in the World Series and why? Well, first of all, I just want to pivot back to what we witnessed in those game five, those three game fives in the division round, because they were something special. I'm telling you, we saw they had a little bit of everything, and I thought they were very entertaining from – the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the top of the first inning dropping a 10 spot on the heads of the Atlanta Braves. Believe I'm it. telling you, man, it was it was unlike it was unlike anything I've ever seen before. Um, I, I, I'm going to venture to say we, we may never see something like that again in a in a winner take all uh, playoff game with one team popping 10 in the first inning. That was something that was crazy, especially considering Mike Fulton Evans in game two pitched. He pitched. He pitched very well. And then you come in in game five, and you just have that done to you. So, wow, what a performance by the Cardinals. Uh, the, the Nationals, Dodgers, what, what, a, what an epic game. And I'm going to come back to the Dodgers uh, at some point. But, man, you got to give the Nationals credit. Again, this is a team that after 50 games, they were 19-51. and 51. A lot of people questioning 
Davey Martinez and what he was doing as a manager. But look, they picked themselves off the deck. They got their stuff together. Uh, no Bryce Harper. It didn't appear to matter. But I'm going to tell you, uh, this third baseman, Anthony Rendon, and this uh, this left fielder, Juan Soto, the three and four guys, man, they are absolutely outstanding. In game seven, and with game five, excuse me, in the eighth inning against Clayton Kershaw, they go back-to-back on back-to-back pitches off of Clayton Kershaw to tie the game. We can't ignore that. And then in extra innings, because you have Howie Kendrick in the 10th inning pulling off the grand slam after he was having a very difficult series, had a bunch of misplays uh, defensively that had not served the Nationals well. So good for him. Been in the league a long time, uh, 14-year veteran. Hey, congrats to him and the, and the Nationals. You realize that's only their second uh, 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 playoff series win in, in franchise history. They they haven't won since they were the Expos back in '81, I believe. Mm-hmm. So and so the Nationals to me, they seem to have a little magic cooking right now. So good for them. That the them against the Cardinals should be a really good series. And then of course the Houston Astros did what the opposite of the Dodgers did. And they came in number one seed in their respective league, had game five on their home field, and they handled their business, quite honestly. You got you come out, um, the first four hitters reach base. They pile up four runs in the first inning, which was more than enough for Garrett Cole because he was absolutely outstanding once again. Eight innings of 10-strikeout ball. In his two starts in that series, 15 and two-thirds innings, 25 strikeouts. I think, I think anyone would be in, interested in those numbers. So the Astros-Yankees, the Cardinals and Nationals, and I got Houston. I'm sticking with Houston, and I'm going with Washington. Uh, and for the same reason, both sides, I'm going with the team with the superior starting pitching. We look at the Houston Astros. We look at what they have. And the way – because the Rays series got extended, the best-case scenario, of course, would have been for them to sweep the Rays. They were unable to do so. So now they got Zach Greinke pitching game one. Not ideal for them, but look, Zach Greinke on many teams in this league, he could be a number one starter. So I think they're confident with him. I think he can do. I think he can get the job done. He's had a couple starts against the Yankees this year. He's done a he's done a fairly solid job. No easy task against that lineup because they are loaded one through nine. Everyone can hit the ball at the park in that lineup. So I think I think game one is pivotal in both series, uh, and I think game one is. Uh, it's important to both teams in the Houston uh, Yankees series. The Astros, if they can win, then you have Verlander and Cole going to game, uh, games two and three. So if you win game one, it puts you in a great position to go up 3-0 possibly. Not saying the Yankees can't win, can't uh, steal games two or three, but look, the Astros 60 and, 20, 60 and 31 at home, something, something to that effect at home. Look, man, they they dominate on their home field, the split, and the splits prove it this year. So, game one in that series will be will be very important. I think it's a long series. I think it goes seven, as it did two years ago. I think the Astros pull it out. Um, and in the for the Nationals and uh, Cardinals, same thing. Starting pitching the and I'm gonna tell you why game one is important in that series because the Nationals are gonna throw out Anibal Sanchez in there. That's their number four starter. So if the Cardinals, if the Cardinals can't sneak, can't find a way to win that game, it, it puts them in a precarious uh, situation because then you got to go up against Max Scherzer in game two, 
and potentially Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin for three and four. So not saying it can't be done, but if you if you can't find a way to win game one, it puts you in a, per, a precarious position. And that's why I'm going Nationals and Astros. We'll see those two teams in the World Series. Um, <clears throat> for the sake of the question, let's be real here. After what I've seen the Cardinals do, hey, I got I got to look. I mean, that was downright phenomenal. I mean, they blew the Braves. I, I'm pretty confident that the Braves is ready to um, yell out that mercy rule, turn in their jerseys, and go ahead and uh, let's, let's go ahead and do this postseason thing. I would venture. I would venture to say after that ten spot, after by maybe the fourth or fifth inning, when they were in the bat, there had to have been some guys in there on their phones booking vacation plans. It was that bad, and especially to have that happen on your home field. I, I can't. I can't imagine being live. I, I live like an hour from there. I can't imagine being in that stadium. It sounded like a library. <laughs> Keep it on in the back. Look, so <laughs> studying here. Like, like I said, my my pick is I'm gonna take the Cardinals and the Astros. You are you already know how I feel about the Astros. They got the best pitching of any team in the playoffs that made the playoffs. I thought, and pitching is what got the job done last night. Even though Verlander let me down a little bit, Gary Cole picked it up. So it is what it is. Um, the Cardinals, hey, they swinging that bat. I I think as good as the Nationals did to win. That uh, that series against the Dodgers very impressed, but I think Cardinals gonna bring something different to them because it's not the whole David versus Goliath look to this. This is more of two teams that was kind of slept on throughout the season, um, and they kind of wiggled their way up to the spots that they are now. And this was a matchup that I don't think a lot of people thought we would see in the postseason in baseball this year. Um, so with that said, I think this would be an intriguing series. By the way. I think this series would is a very high candidate of going seven, just because both of the teams are more more evenly matched than I think the Astros and Yankees. Now, with the Astros and Yankees, I do think the Astros going to win that series. I also think the Astros and Yankees, in my opinion, that is the World Series. So you know, in some in most in some sports, you always have a series a little too early, and just because the the format of that organization, you end up getting something that you don't really want in the finals just because the the yeah, organization. Perhaps the Rockets and uh, Warriors a couple years ago that seemed like the NBA Finals. Yep, yep, absolutely. When they played, and then like we got the NBA Finals, we know Cleveland didn't have a chance, but yep. you know that it was what it was. That's how I look at this series. I feel like Astros and Yankees are going to be very tough in the uh, in the ALCS, and then we're going to get we're going to get a World Series. We're going to get a World Series, and I just think the winner of the ALCS is going to take it all. This is long story short. Not the border listens to Dell. I think the winner of the ALCS that's going to be your World Series champion. If I'm wrong, this will be one phenomenal World Series. With that said. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to talk about was I've been hearing a lot of griping from over in that Los Angeles uh, Dodgers side of things. And one guy that I'm, I'm hearing that's taking a young whipping, a young pistol with me, justified, I might add, if it could be justified, but I'm just curious on, on your point of view. So I, I got, I'm going to present this question to you. Do you think that that game five loss to the Nationals 
Was that on Kershaw? And if it was on Kershaw, why was it on Kershaw? So uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you took it back to the Dodgers because that's where I wanted to go. There's a, there's a lot of blame that can go around. There's no, no one should point the finger at one person and say, oh, the loss is on that guy. There were, but there were many contributing factors to that. And listen, Clay Kershaw, you bring him in the seventh inning after Walker Bueller for the second time in this series, pitched game one, gave you six very good innings, and then he gives you six and two-thirds innings of one-run ball. Walker Bueller was absolutely fantastic for them in this series. And it's a shame the uh, Dodgers aren't moving on because he was he was just he was great. And he's still a, he's still a young guy. I believe this is his second year. So it's a, it's a shame that they're not moving on because they have an ace over there in Walker Bueller. It's no more Kershaw being the ace. But look, you bring him in in the seventh inning. He strikes out Adam Eaton to get out the inning. You bring him back for the eighth. And the first home run he gave up to Rendon. Was a break. It was a breaking ball, and it broke well below the strike zone. And Rendon just golfed it out the park. So, in some respects, in that case, you got to just say, "Hey, I mean, good job for Anthony Rendon. Look, he, he look, he beat the pitch. I mean, but the next one was just a cement mixer to Soto, and he launched that thing 450 feet, I believe. That was a no doubt blast, and you could see the reaction on Kershaw's face after he after he served that one on up there. He was a little distraught after that one and look he didn't he didn't uh he didn't get credited with the loss but i mean look kershaw's got look i mean you expect kershaw to come in and get you and get you through he was brought in the idea i believe going in was hey walker bueller take us as far as you can and we're gonna turn it over to who we think is our second best pitcher at this stage of the game clayton kershaw and Look, so Kershaw deserves blame. He absolutely does. But, and especially, th- this is just a trend with him that we've seen far too long, and it's a shame because in the regular season, th- this is a guy who's got a 2-4-4 ERA. You, you realize he hasn't, before this year, because he had a, this year he had a 3-0-3 ERA, I believe. You realize this is the first season, 2019, since he had an ERA over three since his rookie season in 2008. It's dominating stuff. ERA b- below three for what ten years? Crazy. But in the postseason, his career ERA is four four three. Two runs, almost two full runs above what he does in the regular season. It's almost like in the NFL for years, Peyton Manning was the standard for regular season success, and his playoff performances, although he did end up with two Super Bowls, never quite measured up. To how great he was in the regular season. Not all his fault, but but look, Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs, just not good enough. But specifically the last night, there were other contributing factors. How about the offense? How about the offense? They come out there. Oh, well, before you jump in the offense, I got I got to throw out one more person and I gotta find out where he went. Because last time I checked, the Dodgers got who who looks to be the MVP of the National League? Last time I checked. Yeah, I'm gonna get to him. Oh yeah, I, I, I figured, but I just want to throw that out there. I want to give him a shout out, you know, just to say, hey, buddy, you on the hook too, Mr. MVP. You you on the hook? Yeah, presumably the MVP. But yeah, I and he's and look, Cody Bellinger. We'll just go ahead and throw his name out there. Look, he's part of that offense that 
in the first three innings, they get in the first two innings rather, you get three runs off of Steven Strasburg, who after that he pitched well, but you you couldn't score another run after the first three uh, first two innings. You just put up seven straight donuts, well eight because the game went ten innings, so eight straight donuts for a, a team that was perhaps the best offense in the National League. You got power up and down that lineup. You have the MVP, uh, presumably the MVP, in Cody Bellinger. So the offense didn't help matters. They could have tacked on some insurance runs and helped the cause. Unfortunately, they did not. And and so and let's look at Bellinger because this is something interesting, an interesting parallel to Clayton Kershaw because Clayton Clayton Kershaw historically in the playoffs he has not performed well. It's interesting that offensively, we have a guy who is great. Cody Bellinger's great. I think he'll win the MVP. Let's look at his playoff numbers through three seasons, and he's only 23. But let's look at his playoff numbers against what he's done the regular season. In the regular season, 278 hit hitter, 928 OPS. In the playoffs, those numbers drop to 178 and 560. 178 batting average. Now, let's let's look even further at the last two series. The World Series against the Red Sox last year and the series that just ended a couple nights ago against Washington. You know, the, in, in those two series, 10 games, zero runs batted in. Zero. And in that span, five for 35, 143. So the only conclusion, and look, again, he's only 23. So it's not like this, this script is complete. He could he could get this thing turned around as his career progresses. Got a long way to go. But thus far in his postseason career, it kind of mirrors what Clayton Kershaw has done. So we gotta look we gotta look at the offense. We gotta look at Cody Bellinger. But I feel like I feel like the Dodgers as a team is mirroring what Clay Shaw. Like they put up these incredible numbers during the season. Made themselves the the top team in the NL, got us talking, made it to the World Series last year, came up short. So we're thinking, hey, here come the Dodgers, here come the Dodgers. And then when the bright lights got the brightest, they fizzled out. And and the reason I asked you that question earlier is because I just felt like a lot of people was piling on uh, Kurt Clayshaw. They're like, oh, man, he chokes, he chokes, he chokes, he chokes. I feel like the whole team choked. I mean, just like you just gave the stats about Cody Bellinger, he choked. I I feel like the manager choked. I feel like the just the Los Angeles Dodgers as an organization choked. And, and that's what yeah, and that's why I said up front, it, it is unfair to pinpoint one guy and say it's his fault. There were so many contributing factors, so many contributing factors. And another guy we ain't talking about Dave Roberts, and Dave Roberts is receiving a lot of heat too. Now. The one thing I say about Dave Roberts, I got no problem, and I don't think anyone should have a problem with him going to Clayton Kershaw and inserting him in the game when he did. Because you got to think, what, what are you going to do? Are you not going to pitch Kershaw? Can you can you imagine if the if the Dodgers didn't pitch Clayton Kershaw and let's just let's just assume the result was the same? Can you imagine that outrage? Because the, the excuse isn't going to be, oh well, due to his playoff his playoff demons, oh, I decided not to pitch in this game. No, you couldn't do that. You could He would get hammered worse than he's getting hammered today. That's a no-go. My one issue with Dave Roberts is, where was Kenley Jansen? Where was your closer? Who, to be fair, he hasn't been quite as dominant as he has been in the past, 
but he's still your guy. He's still your late inning guy. And I get it. Joe Kelly came out in the ninth, pitched a real good inning, but you go back to him in the 10th and he, he walks a guy. And to me, as soon as that happened, you got to get him out of there because you got Rendon and Soto coming up next. Rendon rips a double. They walk Soto. And then the rest is history. Kendrick drill, Kendrick Grand Slam Center ball game. I just thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought if you're playing, if you're in a five-game series and you're playing game five, the natural process to me is you got to throw out the kitchen sink. And That's I right. feel like the Dodgers didn't throw out the kitchen sink. Yeah, you could, yeah, you could argue that they left some bullets in the in the in the magazine. And you can't you can't do that in a winner in a winner take all situation. Just think about the um and in contrast to that, the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know what I don't know what pitcher they didn't throw in the game last night. I, Charlie Morton didn't pitch, but you, I mean, they had to throw seven eight seven eight dudes. I didn't look at the box score to see to count them up, but man, it seemed like after Glassnow went out early. They're like, man, we emptying everybody. We going. I mean, there was some guys that came in for one batter. Like, that's what we're doing. We're pitching them all. So, in contrast, you know, again, for the Dodgers, whole lot of whole lot of blame to go around. All right, Drink, let's go back to the NFL where there are several intriguing matchups in week six. Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes will face off for the first time in what should be a shootout between the Texans and Chiefs. Meanwhile, the 49ers are looking to improve to 5-0, but they'll face their toughest task yet at the defending NFC champion Rams. And that's only the tip of the proverbial iceberg. So, Drink, which matchup are you most looking forward to? Hey, man, you keeping it easy today. You are keeping it easy today with these questions. Let's be real, man. You know it's the Texans and Chiefs. Come on, man. Two of the hottest young guns getting it on. Once again, hey, I need to... uh, I need to ask the Chiefs who, who scheduled their uh, schedule this year because I tell you, they get a whole lot of games at Arrowhead. That's neither here nor there. But look, let me tell you, hey, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, what? And then I get to see Patrick Mahomes, possibly Tyreek Hill coming back, Travis Kelce. Oh, man, come on, man. That's all. Look at that. That's a Pro Bowl team right there. Like, let's be real here, man. That's that's the matchup. That's the future. I know shows back we said Lamar Jackson, and we didn't. We said Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes had the the ability to be the next Tom Brady and Peyton Manning fuel. We didn't put no respect on Deshaun Watson, and we sorry Deshaun Watson. We should have put more respect on your name. That's about him. That that's our bad man. We should have put some respect, but in retrospect, we didn't know what we was gonna get out the Texans at that time. They was beat up. They was out here making uh, horrendous trades at the time. And we didn't know, you know, no GM. We didn't know what we was going to get. They still can't block. Say it again? They still can't block. Still can't block, but I guess something happening. They're getting the job done somehow, some way, I guess. Um, but with that said, man, I mean, now we got a sample size. And we can say Deshaun Watson is definitely the real deal. We already know Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. That's self-explanatory. Um, even a blind man could use Braille to see that. Look, but with that said, look, th- this game is going to be, this This should be the game. This is the game of the week. This should be the national televised game. I'm pretty sure it is. This is what we pay to see right here. This is the Sunday ticket right here. The Texans and the Chiefs. Why? You, say, you ask yourself, 
Well, why do you think that's the most uh, intriguing matchup? Why you want to see that? Because I feel like I can see this game again down the road. So if I feel like I can see that game again down the road, then I look at the pieces. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the offenses for the most part, but the Texans still got JJ Watt. You know, he's still a man out there doing his thing on the edge for the defense. Now, you know, Kansas City. Uh, you know, when we talk about that defense, uh, we'll be back after these commercial breaks. <laughs> With that said, this matchup still will be intriguing. No big deal. And I love to see it. Now, let's talk about a couple of other matchups that I, I want to see. Eagles and Vikings. Let me tell you something. Man, we talked earlier about the comment that was made about Kirk Cousins. If Kirk Cousins go out here and get smoked by the Eagles, which it is possible because that, that defensive line ain't no joke, get smoked by the Eagles, he on the bench, man. He on the, I keep saying this. I think this the week. He don't show up. He. All right. Let me ask you this question before I go any farther so I make sure I, I know where you at on this. Is Kirk Cousins the weakest link on that offense? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I didn't sound ludicrous. So with that said, he go out here, he drop another dud, he's on the bench. Sign, seal, and deliver. Bring somebody else in. I don't give a rip if it's the kicker. Somebody else got to come in. Paying this guy $82 million guaranteed, and he ain't worth $14,000 guaranteed. This is ridiculous. Get him out the way. Now, the Eagles, on the other hand, the Eagles trying to gain momentum, right? They start off the season slow, got a big win, got a disaster loss, back in the win column. So they're doing this. They're, they're waving up and down with no consistency. They're trying to find a footing for consistency, and I think they will. I think the Eagles are getting better and better as the weeks go, and this possibly could be disastrous for the Vikings. Just disastrous. I, but I, I do – that, I'm intrigued in that game just because both teams need this win. Seattle and the Browns, uh, next. So I'm going to go to the 49ers and the Rams. 49ers and the Rams. This is the game to let us know the 49ers for real. I like to think they for real. You like to think they for real. But we don't have the game to go back and look and say they are for real yet. Here's the game. We, we got to say they go out and dominate the Rams like they've been dominating everybody else. You have to start looking at it for real because even though the Rams, some games, the Rams has uh, abandoned the run game or whatever we want to say about Jared Goff, they still have been competitive in games. So we know the Rams are, if, if you know, average to maybe above average, depending on what you think. So if the 49ers go out there and dominate them like they've been dominating other competition, we have to put some respect on the 49ers' name at that point. So I'm intrigued to know are the 49ers pretenders? Of contenders. With that said, if the 49ers is a real team that we think they are, that NFC West, boy, that, that's the real deal. That division is the real deal. I mean, you think about it, three teams that can make the playoffs, and then the, the one team that don't make the playoffs got one of the most exciting quarterbacks in all of the NFL. So that division as a whole is very interesting. Uh, what, you, 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 you're not feeling Kyler Murray? Uh, I, to, to be to be fair, I, I can't I can't say I've watched a whole lot of them. 
because I like to I like to watch teams that are like contending and they are not. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pass too much judgment on Kyler Murray yet because I I haven't seen a whole lot. But hey, but you're, hey, you're right about that division though. It's loaded. I ain't even look here. Okay, that's good. I ain't even gonna tell the listeners that you said you was excited about the de- uh, the um, Dolphins and the Redskins. But <laughs> I can't wait. Hey, you gotta watch out for some games like that because so- sometimes you put two teams that can't play and it just turns into pure comedy. You remember the Jacksonville Jaguars from not too long ago with Blo- with uh, Blake Bortles? Oh Man, yeah, they were they were entertaining for the wrong reasons, but still fun to watch. We might, I might have to watch that one. <laughs> But yeah, man. So I'm interested in the game, and then we got the Lions and the Packers. Um, both teams have been, you know, where the Packers been more on the winning side. Not necessarily, I wouldn't call them consistent, but they've been more on the winning side. Where the Lions, the, to me, the Lions have been even killed. They just sometimes they just don't do enough to win the game. Like if you look at the Cardinals game, if you look at that Chiefs game, they was consistent in both games. They just didn't do quite enough to get the win. They got the tie against the Cardinals, and they lost against the Chiefs. So that team has been good enough to where you can watch this game and you can understand why it's a a four-point spread for the Packers in that game just because of the season that they had. But all in all, you know I'm I'm ready to see the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson versus the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, two young guns, ready to take over the NFL. Be the face of the NFL, and that's my game, man. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The most intriguing one, most one I'm looking forward to, is the Texans Chiefs, and it's it's quite simple. It's for the quarterback matchup: Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Look, these guys. I mean, these, these two guys, in a lot of respects, are the future of the NFL. We know Patrick Mahomes, MVP last season. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Look, we know we know how good he is. We know what he can do. The only question we really have about the Texans is, can they protect him? Can they protect him well enough? Because we know, we know DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. These guys, these guys can take over football games on the outside. We just saw what they did to the Falcons, dropped 52 on their head. Just it, it was absolutely, it was absolutely outstanding what they were able to do. And I, I, I would venture to say I don't know how some of them Falcons could even show their face at the facility the next day with that dreadful performance they put out there. But look, Texans and Chiefs. It's not a runaway, though, in most intriguing game of the week. I think the 49ers-Rams is a close second. I don't think it's a runaway for a game I'm most looking forward to. It's an interesting dynamic. You got the upstart 49ers who have yet to lose a game against the Rams who are at home and are coming off two losses, two back-to-back losses. And the Rams are going to be a little undermanned here. I think Todd Gurley's doubtful for this game. I don't think he's expected to play right now. Akeem Tlaib, I believe he's also out. So, And for one thing, I've seen the 49ers. Their defense gets after you. They're great on defense so far from what I've seen. And they flat out run the ball. With Matt Breida, look, they come downhill at you and they just come straight at you. It's almost like, it's almost like watching uh, Mike Shanahan teams in years past, with how much, with how well they could run the football, it didn't matter who they plug in the backfield. They got they got a thousand yard rusher every year. It didn't matter who. Um, with that said, I just want to throw out that um, the 49ers will be missing two starters on their line. Um, Mike McGlitchy and on the O line. Okay. On the O line, yes. Staley still out. Staley, yeah, Staley will be out. Um, McGlitchy will be out. So that will affect the run game. But like we've been saying, I mean, outside of 
Yeah, with, with even with that being said, I mean, I, we got we got to see something from the Rams defense to be honest with you. I mean, I know we talk about we talk about what's wrong with the Rams offense, particularly in their running game, because we've seen them pile up a lot of numbers in the passing game. But to me, the key the key thing I'll be looking for in this game, which team can stop the run? We know the Rams. If Gurley doesn't play, they still need to they still need to maintain some semblance of balance with Malcolm Brown and. Daryl Henderson, we should see him get some carries as well, the rookie out of Memphis. And then the 49ers with Matt Breida and um, Tevin Coleman, we can't forget him in that backfield either. So I think that'll be the matchup to watch. I need the, I need the Rams defense to step up. Last two weeks against the, the Bucks and the Seahawks, they, they've, been, they've been missing in action. I mean, we got where are they at? I mean, I, you got Aaron Donald, but he can't stop everybody as great as he is. Other guys on the defense got to be better. So we'll see how that turns out. I think if the you got if the Rams lose that game, man, they're all of a sudden three and three, looking up at Seattle and San Francisco. So that's going to be tough for them to overcome that if they don't if they um if they drop that third straight. Uh, Eagles Vikings, man, you mentioned it. you hit it right on the head. I was I was a little surprised to be honest with you at what Zach Brown had to say, talking about Kirk Cousins is the weak link on that team. Uh, Zach Brown and Kirk Cousins, former teammates in Washington. So not 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 necessarily a glowing review of his former quarterback, but in fairness, he ain't wrong. I mean, we we talked about the we talked about it last week. The Vikings, look, they got Dalvin Cook off to an electric start in the backfield. We know their receivers are good. Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. I mean, Kirk Cousins delivered the football to these guys. I mean, you you look at it when you got a great running game and the, the running game is so dominant that defen- defensive uh, units have to commit more resources to stopping that run game. It should make it that much easier for you to do business. There sh- there sh- we should be seeing big plays down the field. And far too often, we're not seeing that. The Vikings, they're not even averaging 200 yards passing the ball per game. So this is, this is an opportunity, though, for Kirk Cousins. I, I think it's you, – you mentioned he could get benched if he loses this game. I don't know who that backup quarterback is, and considering his contract, I don't know if they go that route. I, I can't see that right now. But hey, if they did bench him, I can't I can't say that he he wouldn't deserve it because he hasn't been good enough. He's holding this team back. So, but hey, the, what I want to say about the Eagles' defense, the strength of their defense is defending the run game. They can get you they can get you up front, and they can also rush the passer. The weakness is the back end at corner. We saw him against. Uh, against Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers rolled up 400 yards on him. Uh, Avante Maddox, Devontae Adams gave him the business all night. So, uh, look, I think I think it's a must for Kirk Cousins to have a big game because if he can't and he and he can't respond to the Zach Brown criticism because you know you know a lot of times when somebody comes out there chirping, running their mouth, and poking the bear, the guy they talk trash about in many cases comes out there and has a big, big game. I don't I'm not, I don't know if Kirk Cousins is gonna have a big game. I don't. I, I got questions about that. So we'll see. But uh hey yeah Lions and Packers is the other one I'm looking forward to. Um divisional matchup in what uh in what top to bottom is the best division so far in football. Um so the Lions are no joke. I mean, Matt Stafford, Carrion Johnson, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, a lot of, lot of good stuff they can do on offense. And 
defensively, Matt Patricia's got them guys playing hard. And they're doing some things scheme-wise that are, uh, you know, making it difficult on opposing quarterbacks. So we got to pay attention to that game as well. It could, should be a good one. Uh, Seahawks and Browns, you know, that's just a Brown hype train. You know, that, that train is – there's some there's some wheels on that train that are coming off the tracks and look if you if, they, if you fall to two and four a lot of questions a lot of questions gonna be coming up there and I, I it, you know Odell Beckham we got to look at him and how much look I know he didn't come to Cleveland to flop around and be a part of another losing team so stayed in New York for that yep that's right so hey and you gotta you think you how how happy you think Dave Gettleman is right now like. Because Odell Beckham was of the mindset, yeah, they thought he was going to send me to Cleveland to die, so to speak. And Dave Gettleman right now, like, y'all over there with the same record as us right now. Y'all ain't nothing. I, I think I think he, he he probably bring a smile, but I don't think he's happy yet until he see it. If Jabril, Pip, uh, Jabril Pippers was having a better season, then I think he'll be ecstatic. He'll be like, yeah. right, trade one, I got the best. Right now, Jabril, he's a little, little disappointing. Maybe it's just because it's his first year in the system. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to get back to that that Vikings comment about, look, I don't know who the backup quarterback is either, but we're going to find out soon. <laughs> and and the reason I say that is because this is how you start losing the locker room, man. You heard what Stephon Diggs did. You heard what Adam Thielen had to say. Now you're hearing people that's not even on the team talking trash. At some point, you got to do what you got to do for the team, man. I got that you paying him all this money. But if you keep playing someone like this, you get a Blake Bortles situation where everybody's like, come on, man. I, look, we're tired of him. Now you got players coming at the coach like, dude, come on with it. I'm tired of going out here fumbling around on the offensive side of the ball. Get us a quarterback. Stop we didn't. We also didn't mention their defense. Their defense is legitimate too. Yeah. They got a lot. They got a lot of things in place that we should be excited about. And I mean, we, we talked about this last week, I believe. Quarterbacks holding them back. All right, man. You know what time it is. It's my time. That college football preview. This weekend we got four more of them things. Four of them things. Four rank versus rank. Games, um, we got two in the SEC. All right, number seven, Florida, going down to the Bayou to face the number five LSU Tigers. And I want to throw out that spread. All right, it's 13.5, 13 and a half on LSU. That game coming on at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Then we got number one, Crimson Tide, you know, 17-point favorite over the number 24, Texas A&M. That game come on at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on CBS. We also got a... A big matchup in the Big 12 with the Red, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Red River Robbery. All right, the number number six Oklahoma. They're a 10 point favorite over number 11 Texas. That game coming on at noon on Fox. And then we got a, we got one in the Big 10 with number 10 Penn State, three and a half point favorite over number 17 Iowa. And that game is the the 7:30 prime time game on ABC. So. With all that said, Jay, I got to know, are you excited about this weekend? And if you are excited, what game makes you so excited? And you talk about easy questions. Uh, if you're going to ask me, am I excited about this weekend in college football? It's it's obviously a yes. Um, I guess we'll 
guess we'll trash the producer on that one as well. Uh, but hey, hey, Florida, LSU, and Oklahoma, Texas. Look, I know Texas is 11th, but I'm gonna go ahead and say these are uh, two top 10, two top 10 matchups um, that I'm extremely excited about. Hey, look, Oklahoma number six, Texas 11. This is the game in the Big 12. There's no other game that will be played in the Big 12 that we can look at and say, oh, this is a must-see game because the, the, only other ga- the only other games would be Oklahoma against anybody and Texas against anybody. So those are the teams in the Big 12. It's only those two teams that can make the college football playoff. And Texas, if they go down, they'll pretty much be done. They'll be eliminated because that'll be their second loss, and there's too much time left in the season to be already taking your second L. So, but yet, Oklahoma, Texas – uh, great quarterback matchup, uh, Jalen Hurts, Sam Ellinger, and good good coaching matchup as well. We know Lincoln Riley, uh, how good he's been. Looking to get um, looking to get his third straight, looking to get his third straight uh, Heisman Trophy winner in Jalen Hurts, and uh, we we also got to give some credit to Tom Herman and how he's able to have been slowly but surely bring this Texas program back to the glory days, even though they're not there yet. But they're still trending upward. I like what they're doing. And Sam Ellinger is one of those guys that I just love to watch him play. He can he can do it through the air. He can do it on the ground. He does it in between the tackles, too. They ask a lot of him, and he does a lot for them. So excited for that game. And then Florida LSU. You mentioned the point spread in that game, and I was surprised with that up front. This is a top 10 matchup. And Florida's only two spots below LSU at number seven. And they got him as basically a two-touchdown dog. I'm a little I'm a little surprised at that. I would take the points if I was a betting man. I would take the points. I would take Florida to cover. Not sure if they can win the game, but I do think it'll be relatively close, and I do think it'll be hotly contested. Uh, I'm interested to see that LSU, that high-powered offense that they've been displaying, although outside of Texas, we really haven't seen them play that much high-level competition. And this, without question, will be the toughest defense they will face. So in that respect, I'm really looking forward to LSU's offense against the Florida defense because we know how legit Florida's defense is. We saw them last week against Auburn, what they were able to do to them. So uh, those are the two matchups. Got to be looking forward to them. And again, hey, we can't forget about uh, Kyle Trask and how he's been, he's been solid. He's been solid back there for Florida at the quarterback position, depending on how hot LSU is on offense will determine on how well he needs to play. But, hey, both of those two games, really looking forward to them. It's a great weekend in college football. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I ain't going to beat a dead horse. Um, here's the deal. Most intriguing game, Florida versus LSU. Why? The winner of this game will be set up for their bigger primetime game later in the year. Florida beat LSU. Oh, we can't wait to see the biggest tailgate party, outside, what, the biggest outside tailgate party it is when Florida plays Georgia. And if LSU win, now we can't wait to see that that November showdown between Alabama and LSU. So this game was set up for the future matchups that we really want to see the most. Now, that's the most intriguing game. The game that I think is slept on, that I want people to pay attention to, is Florida State versus Clemson. Because I think Clemson, they got... Clemson as a 27-point favorite. I think that is outrageous. With the Clemson we have seen play this year, I think that is very disrespectful to Florida State. 
with a tackle with with gang his boys around, and he say, "Look, you see how disrespectful Vegas being to us. We're not a 27 point underdog team. That team would come out and they will empty the kitchen sink against Clemson. Last time we seen a team do that was North Carolina, and they could have lost that game had they picked a better play on the two point conversion. So that game, I think, is a sneaky." Under the under the table game, and also it comes on at the same time as the Alabama Texas A and M game. So I guess you had to go back and forth. That is the game I would like the listeners to also look at to see just how impressive Florida State can be against this teetering Clemson team. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on uh, I'm with you on Florida State Clemson. That's why I put I put it in as another notable game because you mentioned the point spread, and I think I, I just. Four touchdowns. If you'd have told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have been on board with it. But based on what we've seen from Clemson, I just look at Clemson and I don't – I just don't see them as being four touchdowns better than Florida State. I mean, look, if you'd have rolled in there and, you know, I can see maybe a 17-point a spread. That's what that's what probably would come to mind. I think that'd be a more – a little bit more reasonable. Not saying that they can't go out there and dominate, but I just haven't seen – I'm just not blown away from them uh, by them as I thought I would be. I thought offensively we would have seen more dynamic play when you consider they brought back most of their talent offensively, although their defense has been very good. And I think Florida State, Florida State got off to a difficult start this year. They lost to Boise State. They lost to Virginia. They, but they seem to have in somewhat found their footing, and they seem to be moving in the right direction under Willie Taggart. So, hey, that look, that's a that's an interesting game. And you mentioned Alabama, Texas A&M. I, I, I think Alabama rolls in that one. I'm, Texas A&M, I'm not, I'm not all that impressed with them either. We, uh, two of their losses have been against high-level competition in Clemson and Auburn. So I'm not going to hold that against them. But then you only beat Arkansas by four. And we know in the, uh, in the SEC West, Arkansas is the bottom of that of uh, the bottom of that division to me, so I, I don't expect all that much from Texas A&M. I, I'd be surprised if this game isn't. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if Texas A&M can stay within three touchdowns of them. One more one more game that we didn't talk, we didn't touch on Penn State Iowa. I've been think Penn State's another team in the Big Ten along with Wisconsin and Ohio State that we need to pay attention to. They've looked really impressive so far. And they get a they get a chance at Iowa against another ranked team to show what they got. Now this won't this won't go this won't go this won't tell us the whole story about Penn State because the ultimate test should they get by Iowa and continue to progress as they have been so far will be Ohio State. But look, it, it's certainly a resume builder on the road at, at uh, in Iowa against a team that's uh, in the top 25. So we'll see how that goes. But hey, a lot of great action. Well, I, I don't know, man. I can't necessarily agree with you. I think this game could be a definite a more than the resume builder. It could be actually a tough test. If you look at our history at home in the last five years, they have tough uh, top teams that always came in the hour and they had left with an L. There is a very hard environment to play in at night. For some reason, that atmosphere seems to wow the competition when it comes in there. Um, I think I think Penn State in for a fight, definitely. If that offense ain't looking the way it's been looking in the early parts of the season, 
we seen what Iowa can do. If your if your offense is not up to par, ask Michigan what Iowa would do to your offense if it ain't up to par. You'll be out there only scoring ten points. That's just the bottom line. So I hope I hope Iowa can get more than three though. Yeah, true, true, true. And we will see. Cause like like I say, I don't know if Penn State a contender or a pretender. This is the type of game to let me know. If they go out here and just shell Iowa, that's I gotta give them credit. I mean, now we know this team is the real deal, so that's very true. So, on that game, I think this is a, a pretender versus a contender game, and we'll learn more about Penn State as this game goes. All right, Drink, it's time for a rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. Take it away, Drink. Cool, cool. The Bengals coach Zach Taylor said the Bengals are not trading A.J. Green. Is that the right right position for this? I think for the coach, it has to be his job is to win games and A.J. Green can help him win games. But from an organizational standpoint, this is a team that needs to reset the button, hit the reset button. The Andy Dalton, A.J. Green days, they should be over. In an anticipated boxing match, it's going down in Chicago tomorrow night between the former undisputed cruiserweight champion, Alexander Usyk. He's now making his debut at heavyweight versus four day late replacement Chaz Witherspoon. What's your prediction on that one? Um, at first, when Usyk was against his his primary opponent, I thought it was going to be a tough test. Being that this guy only coming in four days, uh, I, I'm not. I don't, I'm, I, Usyk, he's going to smoke him. I think it's going to be a good debut. The Philadelphia Phillies fired manager Gabe Kapler after two seasons. Your reaction? I, I'm not totally on board with letting a guy go after two seasons. I don't think that's enough time to properly evaluate him and what he's done. But, hey, this is what happens when you bring in the $300 million man, Bryce Harper, and you trade for JT, JT Romuto at the catcher position, and you also trade for Gene Secura. They were 81-81 and 81 this year. They were 80-82 and 82 last year. They, they finished fourth in their own division this year. They just didn't meet expectations. Former shutdown cornerback Daryl Darrell Revis said via Twitter that Stephon Gilmore is by far the best cornerback in the NFL. Is he right? I would say that Gilmore is definitely one of the top cornerbacks. The best, uh, I need I need a little more, man, but he's definitely one of the top three or four, however you want to put it. The Milwaukee Bucks will be without Eric Blesso for the start of the 2019-20 season due to a rib injury. Big deal? I don't think so. If he's if he's out a couple weeks into the season, I don't think that's that big a deal. If it turns into anything more than that, it could be a bigger deal because you also have to remember they lost Malcolm Brogdon in free agency to the Pacers. So, but ultimately, I don't think it's a huge deal. Boxing welterweight superstar Errol Spence Jr. was in a horrific car accident in Dallas yesterday. Your thoughts? Oh man, it's crazy. Um. As the updates have come, they said he got flinged out of the vehicle. As soon as I heard that he was ejected out of the vehicle, I thought that was it. But they said no injury, no life-threatening injuries, and he should make a full recovery to resume his boxing career. Thank God this guy is a star, and the welterweight division need him. Raven, Raven safety Earl Thomas was fined 21000 for his hit on Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph. Do you agree with the league's ruling? I'm not going to say I agree with it, although I do understand it because this is the way the NFL is. You got to protect the quarterbacks, even if even if it's the backup like Mason Rudolph. So I do understand it. Tomorrow night in Tampa, Florida, it's a strawweight UFC main event between former strawweight champion and currently the fifth flanked flyweight 
Johanna Yojeshik and the seventh-ranked strawweight, Michelle Watterson. Who wins? Um, I'm going to have to go with Michelle Watterson. Um, don't get me wrong. Jo Johanna is the better fighter, but she struggled to make weight. She had to make weight at the very last minute. They even talked about possibly making this fighter catch weight, um, but she did make weight uh, at the very last minute. But I think the whole ordeal of making weight going to take too much out of her, so I think Michelle Watterson wins this main event tomorrow. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make yesterday better than today and make today better than tomorrow. And I'll let you until next time. Thank <laughs> you.